0: welcome capital raisers Glad iraq joined me today to talk shop on branding networking scaling into capital raising creative finance partnerships and deal finding don't be fooled by social media you won't become rich immediately when you get into syndication more on that as the show unfolds are you guys ready to raise? shout out to invest next our newest official sponsor on the show and check out the largest association in the capital raising industry at familyoffices.com and hit me up on linkedin if you want to get it for 40 percent off With that, it's Capital Razor Show episode 285, and it starts now. Sweet. I got Vlad Rocktev on the Capital Razor Show. Welcome, my friend. How the heck are you, dude? Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. (laughs) Really cool, man. All right, man, let's dive in. Actually, I got to give a shout out to my sponsors, PitchDex.com and their affiliated companies with Richard Wilson and Family Office Club. Great to be working with them. Vlad, let's dive into your background a little bit as we get started, man. Welcome to the show. How did you get involved?
1: It's been quite a journey. I've been a graphic designer and didn't even think about changing my profession. I was happy, worked five minutes away from my house, can't beat it. But then COVID hit. And I got furloughed. And you don't know when the next paycheck is coming from, when, if I'm going to be recalled, what's going to happen, I don't know. So my wife and I, we sat down, we have a mortgage, we have two kids, we have three cats. And we're like, hey, listen, we got to feed those cats, right? So have to do something. So one of the ideas she kind of threw in there, try to be a real estate agent. People are buying and selling houses all the time. Recession, no recession, doesn't matter what's happening. I was very much against it because I didn't know anything about real estate or being a realtor. I got a house using a realtor, but that's about it. Eventually, she kind of won. I got my real estate license. I got called back at work. And that night I was studying, got my real estate license. Um, I still am. I'm a residential realtor in Jersey. Started flipping wholesaling. That took some time to kind of ramp up, maybe six months or so. Went to a bunch of local meetups here. And a few people like, hey, listen, you should be buying and holding because that's where it's at, passive income. And I said, okay, so let's try something. So I got a rental in South Jersey, single family. It was netting me $1,000 a month net. It was great. And why I'm speaking in past tense, we sold it in February. I'll tell you the story later. I got just tired of it. Because ultimately, when somebody moves out, you get zero cash flow, right. and you have two months to turn the thing over and then rent it again to somebody, and who knows? Plus, New Jersey is not very landlord-friendly. Another idea that uh, my wife, of course, came over, and she goes, hey, listen, we should try multifamily. I got us tickets to this multifamily event in Houston, and I'm like, oh, my God, what Houston? It, please tell me it's like a town in New Jersey or something. She's like, no, we're flying to Texas. (laughs) Yeah. So we flew to Texas and I saw 800 syndicators and investors and my mind was completely blown. I was just so inspired by what I seen by the stories and everything. And as soon as I came back, decided to join a mentorship program. We joined Jake and Gino. Nice. It's a multifamily community. Just like Drinking out of a fire hose, all this information coming in on learning how to underwrite, how to really be in the community, connected with people in Texas. That's why I buy Texas, Kansas, Carolinas started underwriting and within, I would say, eight months or so, got my first deal.
0: So the event in Houston, was that a Jake and Gino event?
1: No, it was MFIN. It was Guys at Disrupt Equity ran it, a Multifamily Investors Nation, I believe it's called.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I don't know those guys. I haven't been. I know people that invest in cogP with those guys, but I don't know them too well. I've been wanting to check them out. Jake and Gino, I definitely know. I've been to their Multifamily Mastery event in Orlando a couple of times. In Orlando, o- yeah. Hopefully, I'll go back this year as well. I really like those guys. When you got exposed to this multifamily syndication, you got involved with Jake and Gino, and then from there where did you take it what's the next step
1: i just started speaking with everybody just jumping on calls picking their brain what can i do to add value and of course what i was doing is since i'm a real estate agent i was cold calling sellers going direct to i took that system and i kind of tweaked it a little to multifamily i got a list of multifamily properties and started calling multifamily sellers I trying to get some sort of a deal so whatever i can do to provide some sort of value or do something. But my ultimate goal was to be a co-GP or have a JV opportunity. I had some money saved. I didn't want to be an LP. I was fairly confident that with the education that I got from the mentorship program, I could be a co-GP and provide some sort of value. So after literally going on Zoom calls per day, yes, five per day.
0: I see you had a bunch.
1: I was everywhere. I cut it down a little bit more, but the biggest thing for me to get my name out, to grow my brand, and of course, to increase my reach. So that's what I was doing initially.
0: Sweet. Okay. I was reading your description. It says, Vlad is skilled in acquisition negotiations and multiple creative financing strategies. Tell me about the creative financing. What is
1: it? Yeah. So when it comes to creative financing, I took Pace Morby's course. And he's if you don't know him, he's subject. Mm-hmm. To, he's pushing the subject to or seller financing when it comes to single family space. Is that so, guy out of Phoenix? He is. In, I think
0: it, I've seen his YouTube video recently. Yeah, okay.
1: he is really interesting when it comes to creative financing. And maybe two years ago or something he was very much into single family space, and he had this course that I've taken, and that's why I learned to basically present sellers instead of just paying buying everything in cash and then doing your typical flip or whatever, presenting them with creative financing like seller carrybacks and subject twos or hybrids. So that's why I learned to do this. But now in multifamily space, it applies because sellers in multifamily space actually offer you that. Our deal in November, we closed, we assume a loan. So it was a loan assumption and the seller said, assume a loan. It was a great loan, 2.9%. Can't beat it. Amazing. Yeah. So everything is kind of transferable. So that's why I learned creative financing.
0: So the assumable loan, a lot of times the bank doesn't like it. So how did you get around that obstacle or was that part of your specific skill set?
1: It wasn't even me. One of the main sponsors on that deal, it took some time to negotiate, but everything went well. We brought in a Pref Equity. They covered part of the deal, and then we raised like $9 million. So it's two teams come together and take down a big apartment complex. It was 419 doors in Northeast Dallas.
0: Wow. Okay, cool. So tell me about your capital raising. How did you get into that part of it? Because you mentioned the word underwriting, and typically people are either one or the other. They're like on the acquisition underwriting analysis kind of side or they're on the capital raising they're typically not on both tell me yeah. about that
1: i don't do a lot of underwriting i can underwrite but i'm just not a excel person i'm more of a people person more visual so i don't do underwriting i do my of course i can read the model i understand everything i can underwrite it just takes me longer but what i excel at is or try to excel at is capital raising so everybody needs that to be a co-GP so the first deal I was raising was 200 doors in San Antonio I initially was supposed to be an LP on that deal and I refused I said no I don't want to be an LP I have to be a a partner on this deal so that conversation went nowhere but then the sponsor called me back and he said let's just talk how much money can you raise and I was I was so full of myself and I'm like oh yeah I can raise 500,000 easy no problem it was my very first raise I called, it was five or six C so I could advertise. So I was blasting it everywhere, all over social media, but I started calling my friends and not a single one of them invested.
0: What did you tell them that you could raise? Just out of curiosity.
1: I told them I can raise 500,000, yeah. Not a single one. I was so bummed, but look what happened. Since I was on all these Zoom calls, there was this guy who had a 1031. He had a 1031 of a million dollars and he liked the property and I brought him in. So, technically, I raised a little bit over a million on that first deal. It was, I don't know if you call it luck or persistence or both, or maybe I really, really wanted it, or maybe it's whatever you call it. But yeah, of course, the next raise, I got brought down to earth and I didn't raise as much, maybe a quarter of that. But it's a build up process. It's a process for sure.
0: That's awesome. So, did you, that's actually interesting too, because Sometimes people think that capital raising can mean only limited partner money that you bring in as a co-GP. You brought in a partner, probably in a, well, must've been a tick structure where it's a tenant in common. Did you, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the process. Is it pretty expensive for a 1031 person to get all of the paperwork and all of that handled and then complicated? getting them to invest as a partner within the syndication? How did that work? It
1: it is expensive for sure. If I can recall correctly, it's like $10,000 or something like that because you have to create a tick, right? So when it comes to tenants in common, everything kind of, the whole waterfall structure kind of differs a little bit. In addition, since it's so expensive to do, it has to be a significant amount. So Mm -hmm. initially he wanted to bring in 500000 and I was very happy. But then the sponsor said no, because of the, all the paperwork and everything that has to be changed. So he actually, he liked it. He upped his stake to a million. I really learned a lot because I was just so shell shocked. I saw like, the <laughs> whole awesome. email. Honestly, really, yeah. it's a deal and it's 200 doors. And it's a syndication, mind you. So I saw like the email chain between attorneys, the way they were speaking. I'm like, oh my God, I have to really study this. Because it really takes a lot. But the most important thing is not to give up and really just dive deep. And most importantly, ask questions. Because everybody's been in this same place. Everyone. Because the sponsors actually called me, the a few guys, and they're like, hey, listen, do you have any questions about this? And I'm like, yeah, can you explain this and this? And they're like, yeah, of course. We had the same questions. So it's perfectly normal to ask these questions. everybody been there. So everybody went through it.
0: Well, I think there's a lot of misconceptions from the outside looking in when people are exploring syndication, they're thinking and seeing people closing deals. And they're imagining these guys are very successful, that they have consistent income, that like they're debt financially. One of the things that you mentioned earlier was like, hey, you were wondering, where are you going to get your next paycheck when you got furloughed? And... I kind of want to explore this. So have you been able to create a consistent paycheck as you moved into syndication? Or is it more similar to my situation where you're just like, where am I going to get money? Because I don't know when the next, when this deal goes full cycle, that's like two years out. That's where I'm going to yeah. get the most of my money. That, what do you do in the meantime? How's that going? That's for
1: you? exactly what it is. I am involved in four JVs, three syndications so far, one coming up shortly. I have seen maybe less than $2,000, honestly. I did see an acquisition fee. That I did see, and that was nice, but still not enough to keep the lights on.
0: And And you got kids. kids.
1: Yeah, and cats.
0: Mortgage, cats. (laughs) Oh, the cats.
1: Yeah, so not enough. And that's why I'm still a real estate agent in New Jersey. That's why I still have to sell residential houses to keep the lights on. Technically, it's a long game. For the deal Mm -hmm. in Dallas that I was talking about, It's going to cash flow third quarter of second year. So basically two years and you get nothing. It's really a long haul and it's a snowball effect. First, you see a little bit here and there. You see maybe a couple of thousand, maybe here, maybe there. But then after like you go maybe halfway up to a refi period, or I'm not even talking about full cycle, That that's five years out that's when you really see the huge benefits of it. But Lee, yeah, right now, that's what you have to do. You have to do something. Either keep your W-2. I don't have it. I resign. I'm full into real estate. I just sell houses here in Jersey.
0: So would you think that a lot of new syndicators or even people with like a couple-year track record that they're having to syndicate and work while also maintaining some kind of a side hustle or... Do people have it? Do they have the right impression when they're thinking, yeah, as soon as you syndicate your first deal, you're all financially set?
1: Yeah, you're not set at all. No, absolutely. (laughs) You have to really either have a spouse that's working and making good money or make some sort of other investment that's going to get you in. Typically, how I'm speaking with people, they invested passively a lot. So I was just speaking with a woman today, just today, literally a few hours ago. And she invested passively into six deals. So she's making money. And now she goes, I'm ready to be a co-GP because I can technically leave my job. I'm okay. So that's where it kind of starts. Many people get in as LPs and get their feet wet, really know like syndication software, know how the operator reports, know what to expect, the returns, all these numbers and everything. You already kind of get the idea of what to expect. And then after that, you can be a GP if you want to. Ultimately, our goal is what? BLP and KP. That's Mm
0: -hmm. everybody's goal. I don't know if it's everybody's goal. That's definitely more on my side, my kind of vision. Some people are like, hey, I want to be the full-blown GP and have control. And I'm just like, I don't know that I would ever want to manage a full-blown 200-unit syndication and be responsible and have employees and contractors and be the guy. I mean, that seems like it would take so much bandwidth. Yeah, I'd rather yeah, just yeah. work with yeah. the investors and let other people and experts do the the who, not how. Let yeah. them be good at what they're doing and let me focus on the things that I like doing, which is networking and meeting investors and co-GPs and whatnot.
1: That's another way, yeah. So don't think you're going to get wealthy right away or be able to live a lavish life or whatever your goal is. It's a slow game. It takes some time. Really, it does. It's like a big boat. You can turn it, but it takes a while to turn. Mm -hmm. It takes some time. So Make sure you have everything in place to support your lifestyle for, I would say, two years, at least, conservatively.
0: Good stuff. Okay, let's dive into the mindset that you were going through as you discovered syndication, Particularly, I think people are curious, like, what am I going to have to deal with? Like, How am I going to overcome this concept of like, nobody in my family has ever purchased a $5 million property? How am I supposed to go out and buy a, participate in a $20 million capital raise or syndication when nobody I know has ever done anything like that? What's going through your mind as you're processing all of this information? Because it can be a little overwhelming getting involved.
1: Mindset, in my opinion, is the most difficult thing. Getting in, yeah, you can study, you can work hard, but working on your mind, I um, still am, is one of the most difficult things you can do because there's so many no's that you have to overcome. There's so many obstacles. In addition, you technically, you are responsible for other people's capital, You for other people's, you can lose your money, yeah, you can cry about it, but if you lose other people's money, that's horrific. So you have to make sure to have everything right. You have to be in balance. And additionally, a lot of people try to do everything. That's not how it should be. In the syndication, it's a team sport. On the team, everybody got their own responsibility. Just like on a football field, a kicker is not going to be a receiver or something like that. Well, not in the many cases. But anyway, everybody got their own thing. And you have to be really, really good at what you do. So... If you think you're great at asset management, just stick to that. If you're really good at raising capital, stick to that because you're going to be really successful. You don't have to jump around and be mediocre in many things. Mm. That's where you have a team to rely on. So it's very difficult, especially in the beginning, because in single family space, in most cases, you're kind of working by yourself, maybe one partner. In the syndication right now, we have 12. So you have to really vet your partners and trust others and just kind of change your mindset where you're not just buying a house you're buying a technically a failing business you're trying to increase its value and then you're trying to sell it in 5 years by making yourself some money and your investors money so you are a business person you're not gonna hammer nails and stuff like that you have to really put yourself where you think you should be and also when it comes to teams, it's very interesting where a lot of people think, I'm going to find the deal and then the team's going to come, the money is going to come. No, no, that's not the way it works. Find the team first, because mm-hmm. when you find the deal, let's say it's the most amazing deal level. Let's say it's in Arkansas. Do you have a team there that can take it down within 30 days? I don't think so, unless it's your market. Can you raise capital there for that deal? So You have to have all these things in place before you get the deal. Make sure you vet your partners because it's a, let's say you're in a a deal for five years. So you're going to have to work with that person for five years. Mm -hmm. Five years. That's it. You can't be disagreeing and stuff like that. I always give that example. My current partner said, hey, listen, if I work for 12 hours and my partner works for two hours, I don't think I want that guy in my working with me. So you have to vet them. You have to know how they are. Make sure you click and also make sure you have opposite skills. So if you, let's say, an asset manager, you really don't need another asset manager. Make sure you have opposite skills, but at the same time, you have the the same work ethic.
0: Cool. So you mentioned some JVs and some syndications. What kind of deals are you a part of now? Let's start there and then we'll go into your future business model.
1: Like I said, the very first deal was in San Antonio I was involved in. And then another deal came in. It was in Sarasota. It's in Brandonton. It's seven units only, but the value is not in the units. It's in the land. It's sitting on eight acres of land. And we're in the process of rezoning it to be multifamily. And we are looking to develop or build 96 apartments on it. So, yeah. So that's the one and only deal that I have in Florida. And then another deal, I literally found that myself going direct to seller in Kansas City. It's 40 doors. It also comes with, I think, five acres of land. It's already zoned multifamily, so we can build or sell. We can do anything we want. So it's a smaller JV, and we closed that with our partners in the mastermind. Then I am involved in two deals in the Carolinas. One of them is student housing and another one is built to rent. And now we're looking for traveling nurses. It's not a long-term rent, but like a three-month rental type of thing. We're trying to kind of look at that model and see how it's going to work. We're really not sure. We're just exploring it. So ask me in a year. I'll tell you how it went.
0: (laughs) What's the investor response or sentiment on? the built to rent and development, that stuff that you're doing?
1: Those are JVs, so those are actually okay. We're renting those houses, and it's in Boone, North Carolina. It's a great place. The other places in Columbia, it's right by the university, student housing. So it's actually, those are the two deals that I received the distributions from because they're cash flowing day one. Syndications that I worked on are in Houston and two in Dallas. In Northeast Dallas and South Dallas, we closed 128 doors a month ago.
0: Rock and roll. So, tell me about the future. What does it have in store for you? Are you being, how are you navigating the economic climate?
1: We pivoted a little. Listen, before we were cruising 50 miles an hour on the highway. Now we hit all these hikes and crazy insurance, especially in Houston. Mm -hmm. It uh, literally doubled, if not more. So we have to change lanes. We have to pivot. Basically, we hit traffic. So we have to underwrite. Obviously, the growth and the, the rent growth decreased. We're still looking. We're still buying. We're just kind of changing our approach a little bit, especially when it comes to lending, because the leverage is really low. So we have to raise a lot of capital. So right now, we're underwriting 60%. Most of our loans are agency last loan we got was 5.6%. We locked it for seven years. So we're not going to see any anything floating or any surprises like that. So we're already... You just have to kind of change the way you approach things. And additionally, in many cases, we're asking sellers for some sort of Loan assumptions, some sort of a creative way to do this. Since the rates are so high, and technically, according to Neil Bauer, the bridge market is dead right now, and it is, it is just so high right now. We have to look at other creative ways to purchase things. We're sitting, we're very excited on what's going to come, I guess. It's going to be very interesting to see, very interesting, but we're very active. We're not sitting on the sidelines, no.
0: Shout out to you, my friend, Neil. love watching his content. Yeah. He's fantastic. Tell me about the, the co-EPs. I'm curious about negotiating your share, what that's like working, what kind of conversations people need to have. You've worked in, in different groups. For the scaling syndicator or somebody that wants to get into other groups, you mentioned you have to vet them. And that I think entails more than just their track record because some people are good at acquiring deals and managing deals and there's socket communications and other things that you wouldn't expect because they seem like they have everything in order when you talk to them at first but for somebody that's looking to co gp or get into new co gps what have you learned about that process so far
1: when it comes to me i'm going for quality over quantity and what i mean by that is i see a lot of people are uh, jumping all over the place raising capital for many operators In my opinion, it's, I don't know if it's risky or not, it's just, for me it is, because I vet my partners that I work with for at least eight months, a year. When I talk about people and I talk about the team itself to my investors, I am sure that they are great operators. I can speak that I met with them many times and I know their background. I know where they come from. I know their deals. I know the way they do business. I know their past. I feel very confident when it comes to raising capital for those operators. Track record is one thing. Absolutely, no question. But ultimately, it's not that. Track record is one thing. But you have to really know them as people. Let's say few people are growing too quickly. Do you really want... To invest in their deals, because you kind of don't know. So there's a lot of variables here, especially in the current market cycle. We obviously not in the up anymore. We, everything is kind of going down. So in my opinion, that's just me. I'm going for, I worked literally with three operators. I'm going to continue to work with them because I have nothing bad to say about them. In addition, I want to be like them. So I'm looking at them and I'm learning from them how they structure their teams, how they present themselves, how they look at deals, how they negotiate, the connections they have. Everything that they have, that's where I'm learning to be just like them. Because like I said, in my thing, and I've taken a lot of Ben Hardy's classes and he's going quality over quantity, I'm going for quality. I rather have two deals that are producing awesome results that are super safe instead of, let's say, 20 deals that are mediocre. So that's just me.
0: All right, let's dive into, you mentioned one of my favorite words, which is brand. How are you building your database? And tell me your thoughts on creating a brand as you talk to investors, and what that's like.
1: Branding, in my opinion, is huge. And a lot of people maybe don't understand it or not using it. I'm not saying my brand is... Very well built, but I know people. At least I know some people, and I can make a connection to somebody else. So what I mean is, for example, I was on a lot of Zoom calls, so people know me there. In addition, I want other people to know me. So I'm on podcasts. I'm trying to educate and help. I'm actually a few weeks ago I was speaking in a Hilton hotel in front of 200 people. I was telling them my story. It was a lot of small multi investors, maybe they're not doing more than 20 doors. And I was just kind of opening their minds a little bit on the opportunities and potential of larger multifamilies, like 100 doors and more. In addition, I'm going to a lot of networking events where I'm literally speaking and saying, hey, listen, look at this potential of investment here. You're investing in 401k here, but look what's happening here in multifamily. And they're like, well, wouldn't know anybody. I'm like, well, you know me. And plus, if you don't want to invest with me perfectly, okay, I can introduce you to fifty people that you should be investing in. So that's just my thing where be out there, help people. And at the same time, your name and your brand will grow. You have to be on social media. You have to utilize that. Of course, you have to be consistent. And at the same time, Education, in my opinion, is huge. So if you want to really grow your brand, yeah, build a website, of course, or a landing page, mm-hmm. be on podcast, start a YouTube channel. I'm about to soon have TikTok, Instagram, things like that. And also participate. Don't just sit on those Zoom calls and just say nothing. Participate. Throw in your two cents. Maybe you'll help somebody. You never know.
0: Yeah, brand can be a company. However, a lot of people their mindset, or I don't even know if they think about it, if they just do it subconsciously, they invest with people, not companies. Yes. So there's this thing called personal branding and getting out there lets people know who you are and what your personal brand is, not necessarily your company brand. For example, the brand is kind of interesting because a lot of people are much more familiar with my show and the brand of the show than they are of my company, which is a completely different brand. And they they trust Ruben more than they know anything else. And that kind of leads you to take them into your business outside yeah, of that.
1: I have a very unique name, Vlad Arakchev. I don't know any other Vlad Arakchev's out there. Plus, I have an accent and I guess I look like Liam Neeson. So oh, people...
0: I guess so. I wouldn't have yeah, ever put that people... together. But Yeah, bit.
1: people tell me like five times, literally Absolutely. five times a day that I look like Liam Neeson. That's what makes me unique. So that's what I'm trying to grow. I mean, Zantec Ventures, that's my company, but yeah, it's I'm growing my brand as my name.
0: Cool brother, let's dive into the lightning round. My first question to you is what is the best vacation you've ever taken?
1: I've been on a lot of vacations, including Europe, of course, all over the United States and South America. The best vacation, Costa Rica. And the craziest thing is I went during the rainy season and it didn't rain a single day. So there was no tourists. It was just us and the tour guide. And we went everything, everywhere, They're like zip lining. And I went into the cave with bats, fell into Wano. You don't want to know. It was just all well, like kayaking with alligators swimming around us. It was incredibly peaceful because the, they really take care of their like, nature. Everybody's so friendly. The food was amazing. If you're looking for active vacation, I would say active, try out Costa Rica.
0: Did you go to the east side or the west side just out of curiosity?
1: Uh, Where the volcano is. I don't know what side it is. I don't
0: know. I was there. That place is pretty
1: cool. Right by the volcano, there's a big waterfall there as well. So I stayed right by that waterfall, right by the volcano. Yeah.
0: Favorite book of any kind?
1: Try The One Thing by Gary Keller. It really identifies you and focuses you on one task that you have to do. Many people say, hey, I'm going to try this and this and this. If you have more than three tasks, you're not really doing anything. You're just kind of going very shallow. You should really go deep on your task, really be in the flow. That's what Benjamin Hardy says in his books as well. So I would say try to concentrate on one thing. So The One Thing by Gary Keller. And also I'm a big fan of Benjamin Hardy's books, Who Not How, 10x easier than 2x his brand new book and taking his mastermind courses as well so
0: nice how much of your success do you attribute to mindset
1: i would say it's 50 50 it's mindset plus determination i guess
0: isn't that the same thing mindset
1: that's true in addition i quit my w2 i burned the bridges i can't go back so it's like you kind of have to i have no choice but to push forward because i would say I started doing too much and now I'm focusing. Now I'm meditating, I'm doing yoga, I'm working on myself to be very much focused on one thing that I have to do. So before I would say is determination and I guess the drive to succeed, now it's a 100% mindset.
0: Controlled attention is really important. How long do you wanna live? With the way I'm thinking now, maybe,
1: 200 years 180 years absolutely. Why not
0: yeah best way to raise capital from your perspective short answer
1: friends and family talk to people yeah i would say friends and family is the best way
0: can you tell me about a moment that changed the trajectory of your life
1: that moment why i went to MFIN, that changed my life absolutely i cannot think of any single moment that really just I did a 180 degree change. That conference or any actually multifamily conference will change your mind.
0: Yeah, that's a huge moment. The moment that you get exposed to multifamily and large scale multifamily can be a game changer for a lot of people. How about this, man? What do you love best about riding motorcycles?
1: (laughs) I live in Jersey, so I ride in PA, Poconos. I ride in Bear Mountain, which is upstate New York. We go with a small group of people, like five, six people it's so nice and peaceful you look at this beautiful scenery you just enjoy the ride you have just no stress nothing whatsoever and you look at those beautiful lakes and mountains it's just so peaceful relaxing you get to hang out with your friends and visit new places really because i wouldn't drive there in the car so on the motorcycle it's easy and so much more fun
0: okay what about the shooting competitions with the pistols what do you like about doing that?
1: Yeah, I do USPSA, which is Practical Shooting Association. I enjoy the sport of pistol shooting and I started shooting trap or skeet back, I would say, 15 years ago and that kind of evolved into a run and gun with a pistol. So it it's a lot of adrenaline. At the same time, you're kind of shooting in, I would say, stress environment and kind of test yourself and test your skills against somebody else. So it's kind of a competition who's going to get what so, but plus it's really unique. I'll tell you this, who here shot against NYPD squad? I did. I shot against five people that won NYPD shooting team and I beat four of them. So I'm not a great shot, but I beat four of them.
0: One time I took this probably about 20 years ago, I took this girl out on a date and we went shooting pistols and we went out to the desert here in Arizona and we were shooting at this can of tomato sauce and I had a 357, not an accurate pistol and I kept on missing. So eventually I got so close, probably about six or seven feet away and I finally hit it and it exploded. and Tomato sauce went all over me. I'll have to tell this story on the show one of these days. And she just started laughing at me because I had all this tomatoes on me and she fell in love with me because I ended up being funny for her so anyways See,
1: there you go that works too yeah we shoot steel and we shoot paper that's all I do I don't hunt or anything like that I just shoot steel and paper
0: a couple more questions have you ever experienced a miracle or had a near-death experience
1: I can't think of near-death experience top of my head miracle yeah when my kids were born that was just I have two kids and that was just absolutely my jaw dropped And I was completely lost. And typically the question of a new father is, oh my God, this is so amazing. And my thing was in my head. I'm like, oh my God, what am I gonna do now? I have to like raise him somehow and I don't know what to do. So that was the first thing that came to my mind as soon as my kids were born. But it's just, I guess it's the fear in you or something. You just kind of have to be real with
0: yourself. Last question. What impact would you like to leave in the world? One of the big things,
1: is when we get to our goal of passive cash flow and that's our goal, we and my wife especially, she's into animal rescue. So we like to change some of the communities here in New Jersey where we live. We like to get a farm and rescue animals because we've been to a few farms here and they have animals and a petting zoo of rescue animals. Not just like whatever, but animals that might be sick and they bring them in, they're like pets now. So we like to do the same thing. We really like it. I think it's helping the animals and at the same time providing value to the community. So I wanna be remembered for doing something really, really good in like, this is just top of my, I'm sure there's few things that I wanna do, but as of now, and I'm looking at my vision board here right by me and it says, buy an animal farm Buy animal and rescue farm by 2026.
0: So that's fantastic. I definitely resonate with that. Animals, they don't have enough defenders for themselves, and humans, they can be very mean. Great answers on the lightning round. Shout out to the Capital Razor Nation. Thanks for tuning in. Please leave us a five-star written review and our sponsors, pitchdex.com. Vlad, how does the audience get a hold of you? I'm all over social
1: media, Vlad Arakchev. I'm on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. like I said, about to do my YouTube channel connect with me there. Additionally, just go to my website, zonticventures.com. You can reach out to me. I'm a lover of social media. Plus I'm a real, you can find my cell phone number if you really (laughs) want to. So it's public information. Reach out anytime. I'm here to help. I'm here to point you in the right direction. If I can't help you, I'll try to connect you with somebody who can.
0: That's cool. Any last words of wisdom for the aspiring capital raiser as they scale on their journey?
1: A lot of people ask me, what would I tell my, let's say, 20-year-old self or something like that? Thing that nobody really teaches you, sales and negotiation. Sales and negotiation. It's crucial in any industry, especially in capital raising. People don't understand the power of it, where you literally have to sell yourself five times a day and you don't even know it to your wife to your kids to everybody to your neighbor everything you're selling yourself all the time it's not just selling a product you're selling yourself so sales and negotiation in my opinion is after you kind of get your information in and get your reps in and stuff like that try taken a lot of sales and negotiation courses. that's what I would suggest.
0: I love that input. This has been a blast man. I really love podcasts because you get to hang out and really get to know people at another level. so this has been really cool. It's been a lot of fun man. Thank you so much for joining us, man. I enjoy the rest of your day.
1: Of course, thank you so much. you
0: bet brother.